Welcome to Free Christian Church of God's Audio Outreach Ministry. For more information regarding the Audio Outreach Ministries, or to order past messages, please contact the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. And now here's Pastor Jimmy Fry with today's message. Acts 17, you're probably there by now. It says, the Jews, however, became jealous. So they brought in some troublemakers from the marketplace, formed a mob, and sent the city into an uproar. They raided Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas, hoping to bring them out to the people. But when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king named Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your word today. God, I thank you for the urgency of this word. Uh, Lord, the, the spurring that it will do to our spirits, God, in our lives. We are a called people, an equipped people, a power-filled people meant to turn the world upside down. And God, might we truly examine ourselves in the mirror of your scripture today to see which side of this battle we're truly standing on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sometimes telling a story can have as much effect on the storyteller as it does the listeners. Uh, Martin Buber is a Jewish philosopher who recalled a story. He said, my grandfather was lame. Once they asked him to tell a story of his teacher, and he related how his master used to hop and dance while he prayed. He says, my grandfather rose as he spoke and was swept away by his story that he himself began to hop and dance to show how the master had done. From that hour, he was cured of his lameness. When we tell the story of Christ, we too experience this type of power. This same type of healing power for the last couple weeks, uh, and even Dad's sermon last week, I think tied in very well uh, with what I had preached a, a couple weeks before that. Uh, we, we began to cover the Great Commission, what it truly is, what it truly means for us, the urgency in that message. And in the, the second week that I preached, we covered the four all-inclusive statements made by Christ before he ascended into heaven. Do you remember them? You have to turn back a couple pages in your notes to remember them? That's okay. I'll give them to you. It's all authority, all nations, all that I have commanded you, and I am with you always. 
But I want to remind you today that those four statements made by Christ were not taken up into heaven with him when he ascended. They were left here on the earth. The words of Christ moved his apostles in such a way, it carried them along in such a way they became known as the men who turned the world upside down. We've read through the book of Acts. We've heard Acts preached on. It's one of the most action-packed books of the Bible. We see the signs and the wonders. We read about the conversions of of non-believers by the thousands. We see the healing of people, the provision that was granted to those who were called to go out and preach the gospel. We see the great joy in the believers even though they are suffering. But most of all, in all of those situations, what is it that we see? What is it that we long for in this book of Acts? It's power. It's the power, power to do the impossible. Certainly, the preaching of the gospel in the book of Acts had as much effect on the teller as it did the listener. We read through the book of Acts, or we hear the book of Acts preached on, and we are inclined to say, where is it? Where is it? We look out our window to a sin-sick world, powerless, and we ask, where is it? This weary world, and we see nothing supernatural. We ask again, where is the power inside the church? Where are the thousands being converted? Has the well ran dry? Has God again gone silent? By no means. By no means has he gone silent. But what do we see? What do we truly see when we lift our head from the scripture and examine this New Testament church of our day? We read the scriptures, we study the Great Commission, we fold our arms and we look to the sky, waiting on the return of Christ as if he said, just hang tight, I'll be right back. But it isn't a waiting game now. We don't wait on his return with folded arms and tapping toes. You see, I I see too many Christians who are living a life like Christ abandoned us when he ascended. Too many people locking themselves away in, in their houses or in their churches, fearful of the world, fearful of the one who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But I want to remind you that we are to be sober minded and watchful. You see, we can know of Christ's authority. We can believe in Christ's authority. We can know where the gospel is to be taken. We can even go to where the gospel is supposed to be taken. We can know and follow all that he's commanded. But 
if we don't see his presence, then the rest of that does nothing for us. How is it that these men turned the world upside down? Well, they didn't really. They were just the instrument of the one who came to do the Father's will, ascended into heaven, and continues to do the Father's will through his church. The mission was the transformation of lives. Not the transformation of the culture. Not to bring peace between the world and the church. Individual people was and still is the mission of Christ's church. So it's not that he isn't working. He's working. But if you can't see his presence, you won't see his power. God's doing it. God's doing a work. He's here today doing a work. I've seen it with my own eyes. People are resurrecting from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's a miracle. Only God can do that. People running from the darkness into the light. From hell to eternal glory. From drunks to sober from fatherless to loved. Marriage is completely mended in strength, and it's not that it's not happening. Maybe it's just that we're unable to see. And because we can't see, we no longer expect. What caused these men to be world flippers was reckless obedience. They knew and they understood his authority. They truly laid down their life. They had this, I'll go where you send me attitude and a clear vision the entire time of who it was that was actually doing the work. Jesus said to these very men, Behold, I am with you always. That statement just blows my mind. That statement convicts me. I don't live that way. Do you live that way? With you always. The Greek word here, behold, is adu, means Pay close attention to what I say next. Behold, be sure to see. Don't miss this. It means what is to follow is an observable, objective fact. Behold, I'm with you always. And then, you know, this is, this is Jesus. I love his sense of humor. He knew, he just knew somebody in the crowd would have the question, for how long? So he beat him to it. And he went ahead and just answered, even to the end of the age. And that takes away our excuse. Well, wouldn't it have been easier to do if Jesus was walking next to us like he did the disciples? 
No. That Jesus is with you always. With you always. I want us to note something today in Scripture that should change your life, right? Something that should polish uh, the dirty stuff off of our glasses that should clear our vision in order to see what it takes to be someone who helps turn the world upside down. Turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. A Hollywood producer, this isn't in Acts chapter 1, A Hollywood producer once said that for a movie to be successful, it must start with an earthquake and work its way up to a climax, okay? So consider that as we're jumping into the book of Acts, uh, because that's not how the book of Acts starts, right? The book of Acts is very anticlimactic at the beginning, okay? So... It starts, it's got its typical salutations and greetings, then a business meeting. Isn't that exciting? Who doesn't love a business meeting? Right here in the Bible. So one would think, right, for theatrical purposes, that Luke would have started the book with what? An earthquake or... Pentecost, right? Man, what if Luke would have started the book of Acts with Pentecost? The earthquake, right? The the thing that starts with, with Pentecost, work its way up to the climax. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. So let's 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 see how he, he does this. He makes a very important statement that, that we have to catch. Acts Acts 1, start verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus. I have dealt with all Jesus, what's your Bible say? Began. (sighs) Get it? No? I'll keep going then. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. This is in Acts 1 verse 1, right? The very beginning of Acts. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That's where we start to get excited, right? When we read this, we're starting to see a little bit of climb in the anticipation when we get to you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit but I want to take you back to his words in the first sentence I have dealt with all Jesus began to do that should excite us that should excite us okay I'm the only one getting excited here I'm knocking picks off everything here we go so in the first book that Luke's referring to is the Gospel of Luke. Okay, hang on here. We're going to go for a little bit of a ride. So Luke, the end of Luke, leaves us at the ascension, right? 
That's awesome. The ascension is cool. So Luke 24, 50 through 53 says, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. That's the end of the Gospel of Luke, right? That's what he's coming out of when he's writing Acts 1. So he's doing two things for us here, at least that I observed. Um, If we were to finish the Gospels and not have the book of Acts, we would go right into the book of Romans, right? And we would wonder, how in the world did the church get to Rome? Hmm. So Acts fills in these details for us. So Acts tells us how the church gets places. If we want to get the church places, read the book of Acts. That's how it goes. That, that's the, that is the fuel that turns the motor, right? Anyway, you're not as excited about that as I am, but it's okay. You don't know the rest of the story yet. Most importantly, Luke records what Jesus began to do. See, you're still not excited about it. I don't get it. So he began to do and to teach in the flesh. The Gospels is the life of Jesus in flesh. The book of Acts, hold on, tells us what Jesus continues to do through his spiritual body, the church. Okay, all right. I don't know. It don't get more exciting than that. I, I'm sorry. If, if that don't, oh well. So here's what the book of Acts tells me. When Christ ascended, he didn't disappear. It tells me In the book of Acts, all that was done, Christ is in it. He's right in the thick of it. He's in the middle of it. The whole book of Acts, Christ in it. The work Christ began continued through his people all the way through and to us. All right, now you're waking up. Oh my goodness, this is so hard. (laughs) It's so hard. I lost my spot now, see? Oh yeah, because Jesus always finishes what he begins, right? He always finishes what he begins, and as long as there's breath in our lungs, there's a work to be done. Do you believe that? So Jesus He preaches his first sermon, right? And I don't know if you've ever caught this before, but but this is where this flipping the world upside down begins. Jesus preaches, and he disrupts the order of the world when he says in Matthew 5, 2, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, For they shall be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do you see what Jesus did there? He literally took those that were on the bottom and he put them on the top. And he put those that were on the top and he switched them to the bottom. His first sermon literally turned the world upside down. Everything you value, world, will get you here. But if you value me, I will put you here. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. And that was how he started. First sermon. Then he continued to do that. Preaching repentance. Flipping things around. Healing. Flipping things around. Being a servant. Flipping things around. Until he's crucified and buried and resurrected, then he ascends, right? And this seems like the grand finale. Christ ascends into heaven and says he's going to come back for us, but the ascension isn't the finale. It's not the finale. The ascension is the opening of a new chapter. Christ wasn't finished. We're still building towards the climax but it doesn't feel like it does it I feel like we're sitting on top of the hill waiting for him to come back through the clouds we're just sitting here waiting they left the scene of the ascension the Mount of Olives they return back to Jerusalem where they were continually in the temple blessing God, just to make note of that. And of course now, right? Now we need the earthquake. This is a perfect place for an earthquake. We're still through, partway through chapter 1, so we, we haven't wasted too much time for the earthquake to happen, expecting Luke to, to, to blow our mind, and he records the business meeting, right? Why? I, why? That was a question I had. I'm, you're all excited, ready for something to rumble and call to order. We have business to take care of. You see, sometimes we have to get to the unfinished business in order for the work to begin. Maybe we need a business meeting first. Peter understood this, so he called the meeting, right? What is it that has been unfinished or left undone in your life that keeps the Spirit from setting your life on fire? Have you made the preparations to receive the power for the assignment? 
You see, Scripture had to be fulfilled. The vacancy of Judas had to be filled. They had to take care of business before the Spirit would do its work. How did they know that? They knew the Scripture. Peter knew the Scripture so well, he says, it must be fulfilled. And he quotes where it came from. Do you know Scripture well enough to know that the business is being completed that needs to be completed? So they finish up the business meeting, right? Then things start to move. Then the fire was lit. And we know it was a fire, right? We know this was a fire because the way we determine when something is on fire is it ignites other material. That's what a fire does, right? Any fire that doesn't spread will go out. It will, it'll automatically just by itself go out. A church without evangelism and discipleship is a contradiction in terms. Just as a fire that does not burn is a contradiction. So am I saying that fire doesn't burn today? No, that fire still burns today. I'm saying if you're not burning, then you're not on fire. What is it that all the Pentecost-like movements and the Pentecost-like people, what is it that we see in them all throughout history? Movement. The church moved. The church made a fresh advance, a fresh move towards the power of the New Testament presence of God. That's where the power comes from. See, we, 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 we want power without presence of God now, and that's why things keep falling on their face. The answer to this stagnant age is recognizing that moving in the power of the presence of God is what we need. We have no chance of victory unless the presence of God shows up and our business is in order. But we hear all this and say, yeah, that's cool, but God doesn't want to do that with me. I don't, just don't feel like God wants to do that with me. I don't feel like God wants to do that with us. And maybe I, I just don't feel like God wants to do that with this church. Uh, yeah, he does. In fact, he's doing that with this people and with it. Maybe not with you, but he is doing that through his church. He always has and he always will. The truth is, many people just don't want their world turned upside down. Many don't want the pains of the business meeting. The commitment of the consuming, refining fire. You see, I've been in this church a long time. 37 years, to be exact. And I've learned and I've seen in my life and in the life of this church, there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. Why does this church still stand? Because we never took a shortcut. 
Was it hard? Yeah. That's how we knew God was with us. The church moved, and the church still moves, in the way of God. They moved in the way of God every day. Not just 10.30 to 12. They didn't sit in a service on Sunday, and if it didn't happen, come back the next week to see if it would happen. They believed in the sufficiency of the gospel and the authority of the one who charged them. You see, many people today desire a reinvented wheel. Entertainment and gimmicks, but there's only one wheel. A move of God happens when there is a return to the New Testament power of God, and that is found in the presence of God. That power shows up when God's people commit themselves to a mission that is bigger than them. And in that place where God gets all the glory, we begin to see the collision of the natural with the supernatural. The culture changes because sinners change. People are different after the power of God comes through. Self is no longer king. Politics are no longer king. Comfort is no longer king. Money is no longer king. Pleasure is no longer king. But as these men who turned the world upside down were preaching, only Jesus is king. So my news for you today in all of this is we are of the people who turned the world upside down. Are you sure? Us? I mean, I mean, look at We look nice today. We do. We all look very nice. But we're going to change the world upside down. Uh, actually, no. <laughs> Christ is, through his spiritual body, the church that is us. What a privilege! Are you serious? What a privilege to do the kingdom work with the king. We are of the people who shut the bars down. We are of the people who bring the gospel back into the schoolhouse. Don't believe me? Look what LifeWise is doing. Yeah. We are of the people who turn marriages upside down. We are of the people who turn businesses upside down, communities upside down, families upside down, sports teams upside down. It doesn't matter. The world's got it shook. And we go in with the power of God and make it right. Now, I heard an argument, a pastor made an argument. We're actually turning things right side up. Right? That, that's our goal. To, to turn things back right side up. But you see, are we of that people? 
I had to get out a little sheet of paper and say, in what ways have you turned the world upside down? Well, our church, mm, nope, don't hide behind the church. That, that counts for your Sunday morning or your Wednesday night for half of you. We are of the people who turn the world upside down because he is with us. And where he goes, things just turn. A young salesman uh, was disappointed in losing a big sale. And he talked to his sales manager and lamented to him. He said, I guess it just proves that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I've said that a lot about being a pastor. The manager replied, son, take my advice. Your job is to not make him drink. Your job is to make him thirsty. So it is with evangelism and discipleship. Your very assignment as the church is to make the world thirsty. Our lives should be so filled with Christ that it makes everyone we come into contact with thirsty. I went to a high school basketball game a week and a half ago or so. Well, a week ago, actually. <clears throat> and I got a bag of popcorn because that's what I do. I learned it from my dad. Get yourself a bag of $1 popcorn and it was a big bag and it was a buttery bag and it was salty. You know what I'm talking about? Now I'm, I'm a tightwad. And I have kids, so I got to be careful. I got a budget for the basketball game because we could spend a fortune there. So my goal is to eat my bag of popcorn without a drink. I didn't learn that from my dad. That's just my own thing there. But this school has a racket going, let me tell you. About halfway through my bag of popcorn, I started shriveling up like a raisin. It was so salty. So I drank Judas Pop. <laughs> you see, that popcorn was made that salty so that you would have to go back to the concession stand to buy a two, I don't even know how much it is because I don't buy it. Two dollars, two fifty, what is it now? Oh, you guys don't go to basketball games. Or you don't drink pop with your popcorn either. Is that what it is? But it's made in a way to make even people like me so thirsty that would crawl to the concession stand <laughs> for a Diet Pepsi. Uh. That's how you turn the world upside down. They got it figured out, Right? A life seasoned with salt. Conversations seasoned with salt. A marriage seasoned with salt. Your children seasoned with salt. Your work ethic seasoned with salt. So that when you've been somewhere, people get thirsty for the living water. I, I had a, a conversation with an agnostic person, whatever that means, I don't know. Kind of atheist, but kind of not. 
And uh, she wanted to talk about the Bible with me. And we were in a room full of, of believers. And she paid the greatest compliment to me probably anybody has ever paid. She started asking me questions about the Bible, and I just responded the best I could. And she goes, you know what? I, I am apt to believe you over most people that profess to be a Christian because when you walk in a room, it changes. Yeah, no, that's not, okay, listen, that's not me. That's Jesus. <laughs> I just got to be the avenue, right? So, so if I carry the presence of God with me and God change places, then it, it, you should be like, well, duh. Yeah, duh, you changed the room when you walked in. You're a Christian. You're, you're of Christ, Right? That's, that's, the, that's naturally what we do. See? We, good for you for acting like Jesus. Like we should. Right? So the disciple, the disciples got real busy wreaking havoc on the earth. And that's what we need to do. We need to get busy wreaking havoc on the earth, not rubbing elbows with the world. Uh, so many professing Christians are being unfaithful to the bridegroom. You're in, in bed with the enemy. I read, I read this quote last night, true effectiveness is never achieved at the expense of faithfulness. Th write that down and think about it. Th there's a lot there. But the disciples are busy turning the world upside down, and the worldly leaders were stressing out over the wave of change that was happening. And I noticed that they didn't say, something's happening. They didn't say, what is happening they had identified the people that were making the change. They were looking for Paul and Silas. They found them in Jason's house. The world will know you by name. These men, here's their accusation. These men are saying there is a king named Jesus. They just summed up everything they were doing. This, this is what is turning the world upside down. They're saying there is a king, Jesus. How would your testimony be summed up? If they were hunting you down, what would they be hunting you down for? Well, it's almost tax season. Maybe that will be it. How identifiable are you, not just as a disciple, but as a disciple maker? These men were saying there is a king, Jesus, not just for their own good, but for the good of everyone who could hear them. How effectively do you preach the gospel? How effectively do you advance the gospel. You see, the transforming power of the gospel changes men and 
women. I'll say it again. Let's, let's start all of our, Michael, delete that. We won't even put it on the TV program. The transforming power of the gospel changes men and women. Yes, thank you. Do you believe that? Do, do, do you live that? Do you preach that? Do you, do you see a problem in someone's life and say, let me tell you about King Jesus? Then these men and women transformed by the gospel changed their families. And then their families changed the neighborhood. And then the neighborhoods changed the cities. And then the cities changed the nations. And when the nation changes, the world is turned upside down. Well, that's awfully big. And so is God. He did it once. He's still doing it. Why wouldn't he do it again? So as we close, may the world say of us as we leave here today and head back out into the mission field, these men and women who have turned the world upside down have now come here. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray for some sort of energy, some sort of connection between what we know and our hearts, God, in our blood, in our veins, in our bones. God, might we know, truly know, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Might we truly know the power of the Holy Spirit that wasn't just a one-time filling for the disciples. But God is a continual filling for your church of which I am called son of which we are called daughter Lord I know we say it so tongue in cheek time is short that you're coming back soon God even if you don't come for another thousand years, I might only have another day. So might those who I love. God, maybe we need to see the urgency. Maybe we need to touch the flames of hell. order to recognize your presence. But God, whatever it takes, would you wake us from our slumber, from our passiveness, and spur us on by the power 
of the Holy Spirit in the presence of the almighty living God and our King Jesus. Might we walk into the world and turn things upside down. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Pastor Jimmy Fry from Free Christian Church of God in Continental Ohio. We hope you have enjoyed today's message and we would like to invite you to visit us next Sunday morning. Our Sunday morning services begin with Sunday school at 9.30, followed by the worship service at 10.30. Free Christian Church of God is located on the corner of State Route 15 and State Route 634, just north of Continental. For more information regarding this or other ministries, call the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. This has been a Free Christian Church of God audio outreach ministries production.